The Once and Future Nerd is sponsored again this week by Audio Fiction 101. Audio Fiction 101 is an online course in audio drama storytelling, created and taught by the brilliant minds behind Wolf 359 and Time Bombs. In Audio Fiction 101, you will learn everything you need to consider when making audio drama. It covers every aspect of creating audio-based fiction stories, from world building to writing to sound effects. You'll see how to develop ideas in audio and identify some fun opportunities for innovation. You'll also see examples of what the writing process can look like and develop the confidence to start writing your own audio fiction stories. The lessons are reinforced through vigorous exercises to help you solve narrative challenges in audio. The Audio Fiction 101 course is over three hours of content, with the instructors pulling from their experience both in creating Wolf 359 and Time Bombs, two excellent podcasts by the way, and also their experience teaching at the university level. The course includes visual examples, animations, and companion worksheets. To sign up for the course, go to audiofiction101.com. That's the numbers 101. Our listeners can get a 50 $15 discount on the course if you use the code TOAFN, all capitals. Need-based scholarships are also available to qualifying applicants, so go to audiofiction101.com and check it out. We are also happy to announce that we will be attending the Pod Tales Audio Drama Convention in Cambridge, Massachusetts on October 20th. That's two weeks from the release of this episode. This is a convention being organized by the brains behind the In Greater Boston podcast. Many of our favorite fiction podcasts will be attending, including the Wolf 359 folks. Tickets to the convention are completely free, so we encourage everyone in the Boston area to come check it out and say hi. For more details, go to podtales.org. That's P-O-D-T-A-L-E-S dot org. Finally, an as always, we are brought to you by the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash onceinfuturenerd. We literally could not make this show without the support of our listeners. If you would like to contribute even a dollar an episode, head to patreon.com slash onceinfuturenerd to join us. We have recently begun commissioning unique artwork for each chapter of the show made available exclusively to our patrons. Depending on your pledge level, you may receive either a digital copy of the artwork, an exclusive sticker, or even a full-size poster to show off your support for the Once and Future Nerd. If you pledge today, you will still be eligible for these rewards for Chapter 6. Again, thank you to all of our patrons for making this show possible. And with that, enjoy the episode. This episode contains material that may be especially upsetting to some listeners. Please check the content notes in the episode description for details, and use your best judgment in listening. The script for this episode is linked in the episode description, and past scripts can be found at onceinfuturenerd.com slash scripts. The Once and Future Nerd Book 2 Myth Made Flesh Chapter 6 One for the Team Part 2 by Zach Glass, Shannon Harris and Christian T. Kelly Madeira Dear listeners, we now rejoin First Snow, the signal sender of three bridges, as she works the fields with a good portion of her town. The astute listener may notice that when we last left the young woman, her town was awaiting a vote on which fields to sow. I've jumped forward in our tale, for while the mechanisms of consensus and self-determination are incredibly important to the function of that society, they do not make for riveting storytelling. I'm getting the sense you don't believe me. Fine, you're such a storytelling expert. Here you go. One vote for proposal A. Noted. 
Currently 27 for A and 26 for B. Confirmed. One vote for proposal B. Noted. Currently 27 for A and 27 for B. Confirmed. Satisfied. Anyhow, I'm happy to report that the motion proposed by First Snow had won the day. Happy not because I have any stake in quotidian politics, mind you, but rather because this decision will set off a chain of events which I vastly prefer to its alternatives. Ah, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But in any case, as a result of this decision, every capable hand in the village was out in the fields on this day. In fact, just as First Snow had proposed, villagers could be found in every field surrounding the town. First Snow was working in one such field when the sound of frantically galloping hoofbeats pounded down the road. Girl, neighbor girl, what in the names of Gallatin and Goradian are you doing? Hello, Mr. Timus. We are farming. Do not recognize it? The elf Timos Lodif reined his horse to a stop in front of First Snow. Behind him, a retinue of humans, three of Eastern descent and one of the Black Mountain clans, pulled up behind. First Snow caught the eye of this last one and held it for a few seconds until finally he looked away. And right around this countryside, 20 miles in any direction, every spare scrap of land has farmers on it. Do you care to explain? Mr. Tiamos, I am obeying the law. The law which you described to me. These fields have been empty for more than two years. My village keeps the history of each plot of land. Your people certainly have not worked them. According to your law, a field which has lain fallow is free to claim. We have claimed them. <coughs> I'm sure you think you're quite clever. The elf's jaw twitched and his fists clenched. Reynold! One of the men riding with Timos unfurled a bullwhip that he wore on his belt. Although most of the farmers could not understand the discussion, this gesture knew no language barrier. The farmers, more than 30 of them, and all bearing hoes and other farming implements, pulled close together into a tight knot. A silence settled over the field. On either side of the stalemate, nervous eyes flitted and darted to and fro. After a few moments of scanning the assembled crowd, the elf and his retinue came to understand their numerical disadvantage, and First Snow was the first to break the silence. Mr. Timos, my neighbors and I must work on our fields. If you have nothing else to say, please return to your own. Based on your difficulty in feeding your people, I'm sure they require attention. The White Forest shall hear of your impertinence. If you think they'll permit you to just... just twist the law to your own advantage, you are in for a rude awakening indeed. Within two weeks, I shall have a fully armed company of knights at my disposal. Two weeks? Oh, yes. The latest technologies of the White Forest must have not yet expanded from farming to communications. Had you been looking at the ground below Timos Mount at just that moment, you might have noticed the slightest shift in the air and that some thin dry grass was beginning to stand on end. When your farm tools are facing six score repeating crossbows, we shall see how clever you are, girl. Mind your horse, neighbor. She seems nervous. 
With this, a small current of power snapped up from the ground and into the hind legs of Timos Lodjif's horse. It did not hurt the animal, but did startle it magnificently. As the animal reared and whinnied, her elven rider gracefully adjusted the movement into a wheel, turning the horse back down the road. This maneuver conveniently hid Lojif's face from all onlookers, preventing them from seeing the hue of embarrassment rising up his cheeks. As Timos and his retinue galloped away, the elf shouted over his shoulder. Two weeks, neighbor girl. I advise you to reconsider your behavior. First Snow's eyes followed the interlopers down the road. She stood unmoving, continuing to stare long past when the dust cloud disappeared beyond the horizon. Behind her, the farmers were abuzz, those who understood the common tongue relaying the details of the confrontation to those who did not. As I understand both languages, I can assure you, the details were exaggerated shamelessly. First Snow's friend, Kapalbui, the boy who had accompanied her on that first fateful meeting with the elf, came to her side. First Snow, your courage in the face of that elf and his weapon was incredible. Grandfather used to say, everyone's a warrior until they stare down the sharp side of an axe. Matron knows I've seen fighters twice your size panic the first time they see a practice weapon. And you chase his whole army away, without a drop of blood. First, that wasn't an army, Kapalbui, and we're lucky it was not. Second, I did what had to be done. Speaking of what had to be done... Friends, thank you for standing with me. We must report this to Grandmother as soon as possible. But so too must we finish the work here. We just lost a lot of sunlight. So please, let us get back to the task at hand. Without a word of complaint, albeit plenty of gossip, the farmers returned to their chores. You act calmly under pressure. You reach clever and unique solutions to our town's problems. And the people listen to you. Have you ever considered throwing your name in for representative? You'd certainly do a better job than that mewling shrub survives the storm. Don't bother flattering me. I've already told you I have no interest in inspecting the fallow fields with you. And there are no fallow fields left anyway. No, that's... I'm serious. You should give it some thought. He's right, sister. You should think about it. And you should think about lifting that hoe and doing some work for once, second-born. There's lots to do. To prove her point, First Snow lifted her own tool and returned to the task at hand. The pensive look on her face proved that she could work and ponder at the same time. It was late, and Ardell Redmore, long last cognizant of the wishes of his subjects, was hastily gathering his most essential possessions in preparation to flee. Of course, this was a man who had never before needed to distinguish between essential and non-essential possessions. The process was less than efficient. I need to see when I'm looking in the mirror. Okay, yes, then nothing fits in here. Why doesn't anything fit? Who made these suitcases? Never had our tools. Antonin Mooncrest, who, if you've not yet guessed it, was very much alive and had been masquerading as a phantom about the castle, stepped out from a shadowed corner of the room. You never answered for your crimes. Your overall turpitude of character has not improved. Needless to say, I have not had satisfaction. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it was you. They didn't believe me, but I knew. Trust in a leader is earned. Too late for that now. I'm unarmed! 
as was I when your assassins came for me. But if you prefer, I can kill you with my bare hands. It will be much, much slower. What, 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 what do you want? Justice. For your sister. And for everyone else you've abused in your unworthy excuse of a life. Wait, wait, no, please, please! This. This is what it feels like to be vulnerable. Antonin placed the edge of his dagger against Ardell's throat. Some people spend their entire lives at the wrong end of a blade. Too many of them were put there by you. You deserve to die. Antonin pressed in with his blade, just enough for a bead of blood to pool against it. Do you wish to live? Yes! What was that? Uh, yes! Yes! There's a decree on your desk. It confesses your crimes, advocates your regency, surrenders your lands and titles to your sister, forfeits your protection under law, and begs Galadin and your subjects for mercy. Put your mark and seal upon it. Now spare your life. Even give it until dawn before I leave it for the deputy Castellan. My lands. That's what you were after all along. My sister's missing. Her inheritance will pass to her husband. You did help her escape. I didn't. But I'm glad she's rid of you. I only wish you were here to benefit from her birthright. I suppose you think yourself a saint for robbing me of my lands. I think myself beyond judgment from the likes of you. Now, I'm going to begin counting. When I reach ten, either your seal or your blood will be on that decree. One. Two. You think she'd go back to the Grey Fox? As far as she knows, we're still staying there. I think, I hope, she's smart enough not to just walk back in. But I don't know where else to start looking. We rejoin Regan and Yilluin as they search for Nia. She was, as you recall, not where her queen had expected her to be earlier that morning. With respect, Your Grace, I think she's more clever than you sometimes give her credit for. Clever's one thing. Staying hidden in this city's another. Can you get up high and check out the square? I can. Not very far away at all, on the opposite side of the small public square from the Grey Fox Tavern, Nia ambled nervously between various merchant stalls, neither staying in constant motion nor stopping for long at any one. Nia looked across the square to see, oddly, a cascade of fruit thrown up in a cloud of smoke from a vendor's cart and then dashed against the cobblestones. But before she had time to make sense of this, she was engulfed in a cloud of thick and pungent smoke. In light of this, she was not entirely shocked to feel someone grab her arm barely a moment later. Cover your mouth, you gotta move fast. We're being watched. Oh, you caught that, huh? It's not too late, Yellowine. Regan was visibly jolted by the distant sound of Rilotit's voice. It's never too late to return to your true home. The Lord Commander was perched in a nearby tower, shouting down over the square and certain that Yilloween was hidden somewhere within earshot. Put the thief dog down for me, and all is forgiven. God damn it, what the fuck is she doing here? We gotta fucking move. <clears throat> Little hop, then some water. Go, go, go! What the fuck, Nia? I turned my back for 30 minutes and you don't just run off you manage to get made by reload shit and teeth. I'll explain when we're back with our friends. I 
Yes, you will, if we get back. Keep moving. Hold it. It's me. Just you? Yes, of course just me. Come out slow. Your grace. You heard what Reload Teeth said. She intends to sow discord between us. Do not let her succeed. You good? Well, you've a bolt aimed at my heart. I'm good, Your Grace. Are you? We gotta move. I'll bring up the rear. Um, living a modest and austere life in service to Galadon. For you, Brennan, I'm gonna call that a jack. <laughs> nice one, babe. My turn. Brennan and his three youngest traveling partners were in the basement of the erstwhile church turned drinking establishment. Okay, let's do clearance rack accessories. Are you sure you don't want to do undead abominations that may appear beside us at any moment? You know, because we're hanging out around a bunch of coffins in a world where we know that necromancy for sure exists. Nelson, we said we weren't going to talk about that. Okay, clearance rack accessories. Uh, Jen? Your hair is moving. Are you charging up some magic? Jen placed a hand behind her head and, despite her profound desire not to, felt an undeniable movement of stale air coming from a coffin. Old buildings are usually pretty drafty. Probably just the wood settling. That's a thing, right? Stand back! The lid of the coffin began to jitter and shake as our heroes looked on in stunned horror. Until finally it popped loose. By now the other patrons of the pub had begun to notice the spectacle of the open coffin and of the hooded woman climbing out of it. Knock 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 means help me out, dipshits. But Regan was quickly aware of the dozens of eyes trained on her. What? Me and the bouncer used to fuck, I didn't feel like chit-chat. I gotta check the area. Get ready to split real quick if I say. Eloine, need your eyes. And if the crowd was shocked by the rude-mouthed vagabond emerging from the coffin, you can only imagine what they thought of the finely armoured elf who followed after her. And help Nia out of there. And thus did a thief, an elf, and a cleric enter a tavern. What are you- Oh, yes, I see that sentence construction is typically the beginning of a joke in your tongue. No, no joke here, I'm afraid. Perhaps I'll think of something later. No promises. Moving right along. Regan and Yellowin ascended the tower that had held bells back when the Whiskey Church was a church. We got any friends tagging along? None to the west. None to the south. None to the- Wait. Dead ahead, north. 300 yards. Can you see them? No. They're walking this way. How fast? Do we need to bail? Yellowin. No. They've turned. You sure? They're going the other way. No one to the east, either. Regan made no attempt to hide her scanning of the elf's eyes. All right. While news that these friends were no longer on their tails provided a hair's respite, it did nothing to quell Regan's rage that they were in said predicament in the first place. What the fuck, Nia? Shit for brains of me to expect a bunch of children to use theirs, but I expected more of you. Indeed, Regan stormed in in such a fury that she didn't initially notice the group huddled around Nia. <gasps> they have my mom and 
dad. What? Oh, Jesus. They're holding my parents captive in exchange for you. Where she might otherwise have instantaneously rebuffed, Regan, surprised herself by the impact of her comrade's state, stumbled to respond in a way that was both empathetic and expedient. God, Nia, fuck, shit. This was unfamiliar territory for her as a leader. God damn it. Why didn't you tell me you had parents? Everyone has parents. Not where I'm from. Wait. Hey, hey, look at me. Did you set me up in that square? No. Oh, Jesus, Regan. I, I wouldn't do that. Can we take a time out here? Did you know they were on to you? I suspected they might be. And you still tried to meet me. Some people might call that a fucking setup. Seriously, before we say things we can't take back. I would have warned you if I'd had the chance. We'd be dead right now if we'd waited for your chance. Only reason he got out is because Yellowween made the lookouts a second before they made him. And what was I supposed to do? Throw myself off a bridge? Look, you did the best you could with the cards you had. I get it. I'm just saying, yours ain't the only life on the line here. Yes. As I said, my parents are in danger. And I have the beginnings of a plan to get them back. We're in. Right on. In what I'm told is a Pennsylvanian gesture of camaraderie, the three young friends held an arm out towards each other so that one of each of their hands was held stacked. And then after a moment passed, they looked around the table expecting others to do the same. For their part, Brennan and Yellowin shot glances to their queen, who was frustratingly blank. The elf and the man both reached out their hands, but Regan, with a wince of regret, grabbed their wrists to stop them. Nia, gods, I'm sorry, I really fucking am, but we can't do it. As I said, I have the beginnings of a plan. If you'll let Nia, me- Nia, no offense, I know you're smart and shit, but have you planned many reverse kidnappings before? I smuggled three people out from under the noses of a veteran knight and a master thief. Oop, gotcha there. All right, let me explain this to you. If we- No, let me explain this to you. With respect, Your Grace. They are my parents. They raised me, made me who I am. Perhaps the pain of their loss is not something you can conceive of, but for me- Hey, I know what it's like to lose family. Don't you dare say otherwise. I am sorry to hear that. But then surely you understand that to abandon them to torture and death after my actions put them in danger to begin with, would be unlivable. So I will find a way to rescue them, because I must. There is no choice here. Now, once again, I have the beginnings of a plan, but it cannot be carried out alone. If you value me or any of my contributions to your endeavors so far, you will help me with the rest of it. If not, then I shall depart your company forever and find a way to do it alone. We wouldn't let that happen, Nia. I hear what you're saying, okay? This is your hill to die on? I can respect that. You want to call in your favors here? Fair enough, you've earned them. But you've got to look everyone at this table in the eyes and tell them you'll trade their lives for your parents, because that is without a doubt the most likely outcome. Are you willing to do that? Nia looked around the table at a group of friends, whom trial and trauma and triumph had bonded into a family of its own sort, and took a deep breath. But before she could speak... Oh, come on. I'm sure we can think of something. No. Don't bail her out by deluding yourselves. That doesn't help anybody. We've made a way together, this far. 
Yeah, I mean, aren't we even gonna try? Aren't you supposed to be, like, the greatest thief ever or some shit? Don't forget assassin. Watch your tone accordingly. Your Grace, can you at least explain to us what exactly makes it more dangerous than anything we've done before? Realitite's gonna control the when, where, and how of this, and she's gonna have all her best nights with her. Shit's gonna be locked down tight. And what if my plan would allow us to choose the time and location? How's that? Because, in my fear and abject desperation, I revealed to the Lord Commander where the Thief Queen Irana Regan would be in three days' time. And where will the Thief Queen Irana Regan be in three days' time? Well, it's the Feast of the Harvest Moon, so, naturally, you'll be stealing the Grand Purse. The grand Purse from the horse race. I figured large crowds, fast horses, and our turf. But if I'm reloaded, to leave your parents somewhere safe and show up to the race in full force. That's why I was very insistent about the next part. <sighs> to save my parents, yes, I will give you my comrades. Regan will wear a disguise, of course. I, I shall kiss her on the cheek to show you who she is. That will be acceptable. But if I'm to do this... I must ask that I see them first, to know they are safe. I assure you, you will be reunited with them the moment I have the others. Oh, Lord Commander, let us be honest with each other. Save for my parents, you've absolutely no reason to trust me. But likewise, I've no reason to trust you. If I do not see my parents alive and well at the race, I'll be forced to assume... Assume you've already killed them, and then I will give you nothing. Very well. The tugging at the corner of Regan's mouth and eyes was almost permitted to turn into a grin. That's not bad, Nia. Really. You upgraded our chances from complete suicide to just bugfuck crazy. Now, personally, I've done bugfuck crazy before, for a big enough take. But I can't make that call for anyone. Let's do this shit. Gotcha, yeah. Honor requires it. Tell me who needs killing. Well, that's that then. Somebody go talk to the lovebirds. This involves them too. I'd not put promises in her mouth, but the Lady Arlene was once known as a fine rider. To that, I can attest. Good. Let's see what she's up for. And get me something to draw on. We got three days to plan, and we're gonna need all of them. The Once and Future Nerd is directed by Christian T. Kelly Madeira. It is created and executive produced by Zach Glass and Christian T. Kelly Madeira and co-executive produced by Jess Kelly Madeira. Associate producers are Ryan Cushman, Alex Story, and Sunday Vasquez. It is performed by Rhiannon Angel, Garrett Arman, Dan Dobransky, Anya Gibeon, Ian Hawkins, Shannon Harris, Riley Jones, Paul Notice, April Ortiz, Juliet Fritter, Frank Quares, Julie Reed, Gregory M. Schultz. Guest appearances by Morgan Conroy, Leslie Gideon, Josh Perot, David Tao, Zach Valenti, and Davis Walden. Production audio recording by Jared Paul. Editing by Brielle Akterhoff. Foley sound design and post-production mixing by Matthew Boudreau. 
Tom Lee is our musical director and lead composer, with additional scoring by Chris Montalbo. For more, visit onceandfuturenerd.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or Reddit. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Once and Future Nerd, you might enjoy this show from our friends. Are you tired of the domestic discussions of the more pedestrian podcasts? Looking for a more enlightened way to talk about video games? Then look no further than Left Trigger Right Trigger, the video game book club, where four hosts discuss the more sophisticated issues in games. Topics include body parts, Zelda, The Division, Hyperlight Tokyo Drifter, Good Vibes, Time Machine, Doing the Gab, uh, Biscuit Faces, Being Terrible, Muzapan Sex Dance, The Faces Are Terrible, When the Mouse Is Away, or When the Cat's a Mouse, I Can't Tell White People Apart, My Body Is Going to Dissolve. I'm playing wine. The Gashapon is just a womb. Man, this game's got hot orcs. <clears throat> Left trigger, right trigger. Your video game book club. Wow, that was what? really disappointing.